1: All street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great pleasure to be with you on Christmas weekend. Christmas weekend, celebrating the birth of Christ. Have to say that since our illustrious president doesn't want to say it. Somebody's got to say it, so I'll say it Anyway. Let's bring in a dear friend, ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor during the Trump administration. He's now the chairman of American Global Strategies. He's an expert on many things actually. Foreign policy, domestic policy, there's no end to what Robert O'Brien knows. So first of all, welcome to Christmas Weekend Show, Robert O'Brien.
0: Well, listen. I'll join you in a big Merry Christmas to all your listeners. Uh, God bless you, Larry, and wonderful, uh, wonderful to be with you. And I'll throw out I'll even throw out another uh, religious uh, greeting, which will probably get us in trouble with uh, the, the the anti-religious police. Happy Hanukkah. Last night was the sixth night of Hanukkah. Yeah. So for our Jewish listeners and friends, uh, happy Hanukkah to you as well.
1: I mentioned Hanukkah. I mean, Hanukkah. After all, the Old Testament is essential. I mean. I I want to get around to talking to you about Zelensky and Iran and China and all the rest of it. But can you imagine Biden gives his, you know, national Christmas tree speech and doesn't mention he doesn't mention Christmas. He doesn't mention baby Jesus. He doesn't mention Christianity. He doesn't mention any religion. I mean, come on. You can't do that.
0: For for anyone that's hungry for a great speech at uh, Christmas, go back to 1941. President uh, Roosevelt invited Winston Churchill uh, shortly after Pearl Harbor uh, to come over to Washington and, and plan the war and plan how the Allies would be victorious and we'd save the world.
1: Oh. And,
0: and Winston Churchill gave a great speech to of the Christmas tree on the East Lawn. And uh, go go back and read it if you get a chance. You go to the International Churchill Society and get the his speech, and it's a beautiful Christmas speech. So if you're, if you're hungry for a Christmas speech from a great leader— uh, Winston Churchill gave a beautiful one in, in, at the White House in, in December of 1941.
1: That's a great thought. That's a wonderful thought. We mustn't forget about that. So anyway, I thought a pretty good speech pre-Christmas was uh, from President Zelensky of uh, Ukraine. Um, what did you make of the speech? Was it all there? Was it convincing? Do you hear murmurs? On the right, on the left, we're spending too much money. We should be guarding our southern borders and not worried about Ukrainian borders. I don't happen to agree with those thoughts, but I wanted to toss them out there. Nobody better to talk about it than you. What did you make of the speech? Did he get it done? Did he did he cement and increase and in enhance support uh, for his uh, uh, quest for freedom?
0: Well, I, I think he did, and I think – uh, President Zelensky has been a, an incredibly, incredibly brave leader over the past year. I mean, he's personally the number one target of Vladimir Putin. He and his family, they, the Russians want to kill him and and all of his colleagues. Uh, and then I think it was just last night they attacked an open air Christmas market in mm. Kyrgyzstan and, and killed eight Ukrainians and another fifty civilians. I mean, what, what's happening in Ukraine is terrible, and yet the Ukrainian people have shown bravery and panache and boldness in fighting the Russians and. But for, for those of our friends on the, on the far right or the far left who, who don't think we should be the arsenal of democracy and don't think we should be supporting the Ukrainians, America has two great challenges, China and Russia. Mm. And, and those two countries are in an unlimited partnership. They're in an alliance. They want to displace our leadership in the world. And they want to change our way of life and, and dominate us. And Ukrainians have just taken out in the past year half the Russian tank force, which was massive, They've taken out a significant number of their warships, their uh, missile – the Russian missile uh, stocks are are almost nil. They're having to go hat in hand to the Iranians, the North Koreans, uh, to get ammunition. So the the Russian conventional threat to NATO, uh, not the nuclear threat, but the conventional threat, is almost nil because the Ukrainians have fought so bravely. So this has been a good investment. We need to be careful in how we spend our money. We don't want any weapons we send to Ukraine to fall into Russian hands. And we want to make sure that there's no corruption with the money that the American taxpayer money is being sent. And we also want to make sure our European allies are paying their fair share. I mean, we can't care more about Europe and Ukraine than the Europeans care about Europe. And so, uh, you know, there there are things we need to do to make sure that that support we're giving Ukraine is is proper. But uh, hats off at this Christmas season to the Ukrainian people who are fighting for their freedom.
1: This has to be a battle worth fighting. You know, just on your point about Europe, uh, are the Europeans are the Europeans doing what they should be doing? And one thing, I, I, I mean, I, I have to be critical of Europe. Uh, you'll tell us whether the Euro- Europeans are pitching in to the extent they should be pitching in. But one thing, they're buying a ton of natural gas. I've made this point uh, in recent weeks. Europe, because of their um, mistakes with respect to energy and kind of falling for the renewables argument, the climate change argument. But, Robert O'Brien, Europeans um, uh, purchased roughly uh, 30 billion euros worth of Russian natural gas. Not all, just natural gas, which unfortunately uh, virtually equals the amount of financial aid they've given to Ukraine. So they've given 30 billion uh, euros worth to Russia – and then the same $30 billion to the Ukraine, this didn't have to be. If they had listened to us uh, in the Trump administration, they would have been in much better shape and not reliant on Russian natural gas. And if they had listened to us, uh, we wouldn't have had the uh, various pipeline issues that we've gotten.
0: Well, there you're 100 percent right. And, like, you were running this at the NEC when you were the uh, economic director at the White House. <clears throat> this idea that the, that the Russians should have Nord Stream 2, uh, and, and be able to sell all their oil and gas and to, the, to the Europeans and, and leverage them and have political power over the Europeans uh, was, was just abhorrent at the time. It, it's, the, the folly of it has been proven by the war in Ukraine. Uh, in some ways, that the belief that Putin had that he had a, um, uh, you know, unlimited leverage over Europe led to his invasion of Ukraine. And, and instead of stopping the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which, which you urged and I urged and, and our colleagues did and the president did, Uh, And instead of building the mid-Catalonian pipeline, a pipeline from Lisbon, Portugal, all the way through Spain and in France into Germany, so we could have delivered American LNG, which which burns cleaner, is less expensive, and and, and it comes from an ally. We could have delivered that to the LNG terminal in in Lisbon, had it shipped straight to Germany and Central Europe. And that that was stopped for environmental reasons. So apparently... There was no environmental reason to stop the Russian gas coming in, you know, under an undersea pipeline, but there was environmental reason to stop the, the American gas coming in through Lisbon uh, on an over overland pipeline that could have been repaired if it had leaked and, and very easily and, and monitored much more easily than a below the sea pipeline. So this stuff doesn't make any sense. The Europeans made a huge mistake. You know, they bet wrong, and unfortunately, it, it in part led to the invasion of Ukraine.
1: You know, if we were producing. 14 or 15 million barrels a day here in the U.S. The price of oil would have hovered where it had been hovering during the Trump years, which is more or less around $50, 55 a barrel. I don't think Putin would have ever gone into this adventure. Because history tends to show that it's when oil gets around $100, uh, that's when he gets very adventuresome, whether it's Georgia or Crimea or Ukraine and so forth. And, you know, this is a fatal mistake. We might well have avoided all of this. People say if Trump were president, uh, Putin wouldn't have done it. It wasn't so much that Trump would have threatened him. It's just that Putin doesn't move when he doesn't have enough money from a $100 oil. Then all of a sudden he gets very adventuresome and starts, you know, going into all of these crazy ahistorical ideas that he has about the Mother Russia. I mean, to me, that's one of the tragedies of this whole issue of um, Green New Deal, central planning, stop oil and gas, turn the spigots off.
0: Well, you're 100 percent over target, uh, Larry. And so so there there are two issues. Number one is, you know, America giving up its energy independence, not just our energy independence, but giving up our ability to, to help our allies. That in turn led to us not being able to put full measure sanctions on the Russians. So, You'll recall back in, in January, you and I were on the show. I was on your show before, we, before Russia invaded Ukraine, and we both called for sanctions on the Russian Federation Central Bank and to mm-hmm. kick Russia out of the SWIFT system. And that would have put full measure sanctions on the Russians and, and cut off even their oil and gas revenue or at least a, a big chunk of it. They would have had to have sold it on a black market at a big discount, and it would have, it would have starved Putin's war machine. But, but you know what else is happening right now? There's a think tank in China, and this is ex- incredibly dangerous. That just wrote a report that said the Russians have made money, notwithstanding all the Western sanctions, because of the high price of energy. Mm. The Russians and Putin himself personally have made money on the war in Ukraine. Now that sends directly the you know the, the wrong message to Beijing, which is thinking about invading Taiwan. They're, they're looking at Russia, which has the economy you know smaller than Italy, about the size of New Jersey. And thinking, well, if the, if the West can't cut Russia off for invading Ukraine, given the size of the Chinese economy, why would they ever try and cut us off if we invade Taiwan? Mm. So so these half-measure sanctions are giving up our energy independence, and the failure of the Europeans to really stand up and, and cut off Russian oil and gas imports is sending just the wrong message at the wrong time to the Chinese who are eyeing Taiwan right now. So. There are, second, there are secondary consequences to, to exactly what you talked about with the Russians, and it's probably encouraging Xi Jinping to think about going into Taiwan. It's a, a very bad situation. We need to get our energy independence back, and the Europeans need to step up and, get, and finish the mid-cap pipeline and, and start importing oil and gas from, from allied countries like the U.S. and Israel and Greece and Cyprus instead of uh, even places like Qatar instead of Russia.
1: By the way, that's a a throwaway. But you mentioned Israel. Uh, I interviewed Netanyahu a couple times. Once here on the radio. Once on the TV. I mean, they've uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean. They've discovered massive natural gas reserves, and Israel could be a first of all a great power, but also a great help to the rest of Europe if the Europeans let the pipelines be built. This is another example of the folly of hating oil and gas and pipelining and depending on uh, Russian uh, fuel. I mean, Israel could be a really important player here if they're le- if they're allowed to be.
0: Well, th- this is what the, the, the fallacy of the greens. They they hate oil and gas when it's you know drilled and and uh, and extracted responsibly in democracies where there are regulations and. And things are done properly, whether it's Israel, the United States, or, or allies. But they love oil and gas that comes from from Venezuela, which is the dirtiest oil and gas in the world, and and produced in an environmentally very insensitive manner. They love it when it comes from Russia. So, you know, my my wonder, you know, I wonder if there's an agenda, you know, far beyond you know the green, the, the supposed green agenda for these folks, because they have no problem with Russia exporting massive amounts of oil and gas, no problem with Venezuela exporting massive amounts of oil and gas. Or Iran uh, exporting oil and gas, but when it's Israel or the United States or or, or, or an allied country, you know they they don't they don't like it. It makes no sense.
1: Which side are the greenies on? Are they on the American team or not? That's an issue.
0: No, it, it's a real issue, and 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 again, you don't understand why, why they're they're against nuclear energy, which you know is getting safer every year, and and and. It's the greenest energy you can have, and it's, it's you know um, great for conservation. They're, they're against clean U.S. LNG, they're against clean Israeli LNG, but but they're they're all for Venezuelan, Russian, and, and Iranian oil. I mean, I, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Uh, Robert O'Brien, I got to take a break, and I want to come back to Zelensky and the speech and the American support, and I want to also add on to that. The Iranian factor, and then I do want to go back to Taiwan. So if you just hang with us for a few moments, we're going to take a quick break, folks. We're talking to Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor, dear friend, and um, all of this on wonderful Christmas weekend. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. Christmas weekend, our crazed producers giving us a little Christmas cheer, good for them. I'm Larry Kudlow, we're on the phone with Ambassador Robert O'Brien, former National Security Advisor, Chairman of American Global Strategies, a very dear friend on Christmas weekend, if we are allowed to talk about Christmas. So, Robert, did Zelensky get it done in your judgment? He will be back for more help. Uh, I, I think most Americans are inclined to give it to him, but what do you think,
0: Well, he he got it done, and and I want to just mention again how generous the American people are. There's never been a people in the history of the world more generous than Americans in helping folks, whether it's in in wars that uh, uh, people are fighting for their freedom and independence uh, or or humanitarian and natural disasters. Uh, The American people and the American taxpayers have dug deep in a a way that no other country has in history. It's it's unparalleled, And, and, and God bless the United States of America for what they do for people around the world by the way, as we talk about that, I just want to give a shout out to our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, guardsmen, uh, who are, you know, on the front lines of freedom. That this time of year, it's a tough time of year for, for soldiers and, and sailors and, and airmen who are deployed in hot and dusty places away from their families. But you know, even even tougher than than, than their deployments or their families back home, uh, you know, wondering about their safety and. Uh, but they're also justifiably proud of their, their sons and daughters and, and husbands or brothers and sisters who are out uh, keeping us free. So Merry Christmas to all our sailors and uh, Marines and airmen, soldiers and Coast Guardsmen, all of them. Are, they're doing a great job for, the, for this country. And as far as we goes, Amen. Uh, Amen. yeah, thank, thank you. I know, I know you no Amen. no one feels more, more, more that way than you do, Larry. I know that. And you. Uh, uh, look, we need to get the, we need to be the arsenal of democracy. This is not a forever war where American troops are then asked to come fight for somebody else. This isn't Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, We're not, we're we're supplying the tools and the platforms, the missiles, the, the, the artillery, the, the, the uh, the rifles, uh, everything, the the, the bullets and ammunition and then artillery shells that the Ukrainians need to defend themselves, but they're the ones doing the fighting. And we need to keep that in mind. It's, it's, those brave men and women that are on the front lines that we see them on YouTube and on TV, and we've got to be that arsenal of democracy. Well, what needs to happen though is that the rest of Ukraine needs to be rebuilt. And as we're as we're doing the hard power work, as we're you know spending you know maybe a hundred million billion dollars on on weapons and equipment. The Europeans need to step up and do you know if they, if they can't supply the weapons, and most of them can't because they haven't been spending on their own defense for years. They need to step up on the civilian side. They need to fund the Ukrainian government. They need to fund the reconstruction. Uh, They need to do the rebuilding. And and they need to be an equal partner with the U.S. For every dollar that we spend, the Europeans ought to be spending $2 because this is a war that's taking place in Europe. The European Union economy, as you know, is bigger than ours. And so, you know, again, America can't care more about Europe and Ukraine than the Europeans care. And the Europeans have to step up and play their part.
1: One thing I really liked about Zelensky's speech is – the tie-in between Russia and Iran, calling them both terrorists. I thought that was really good. I really hadn't heard him say that before. But that's something that American ears should hear.
0: Well, if the Iranians are bad actors everywhere, they're bad actors in Yemen and, and Iraq and, and Lebanon and Syria, uh, all across the Middle East. They're threatening everywhere to eliminate our, our friends in Israel. Uh, they they want to destroy the, the the Jewish state, uh, uh, they've said they get a nuclear bomb that they'll use it to, that israel a one bomb state that they could detonate one nuke over israel and now they're getting involved with with the russians and this this real access of evil and supplying putin with drones and ballistic missiles all the things that they were able to build and buy because we had that jcp in place and gave the, the iranians 150 billion dollars in sanctions relief and they didn't use that money to, to improve the lives of the iranian people they used it to to build a, a defense industrial complex that could then, in turn, supply the Russians now in their war with Ukraine, and uh, America needs to understand that connection. And the the funny thing is, with the JCPO, it's not funny, it's bad. With this current round JCPO, of JCPOA negotiations, the Nuke Deal negotiations, the, the the current administration turned to the Russians to be our intermediaries right. with the Iranians. I mean, we're asking the Russian ambassador in Vienna to go to negotiate a deal with the Iranians for us. I mean, this is absurd. And uh, we need to understand the connection between Russia and Iran. We need to understand how, how both countries hate America. And, and we need to take every step we can to protect our friends and allies from, from this malign behavior.
1: Do the Bidens get this? I mean, it sounds like the new talks with Iran have finally fallen through. But I don't know. They keep trying. I mean, do they get there's a part of me, Robert, that, you know, I think Zelensky did this purposely, this link between Iran and Russia. And I think it was a very good thing. It was a very important strategic thought, but almost a warning to the Bidens. Don't go down this Iranian road. Well,
0: and just like Bibi Netanyahu, Yahoo, another great champion for freedom was a good friend of yours and mine, uh, you know, these are people that are facing the Iranians, you know, head on. That are that you know, Israel's been attacked by Iranian drones. The Ukrainians have been attacked by Ura- Ukraine, uh, Iranian drones, and, and they're warning the American people that these are these are not good guys. I, I think that Jake Sullivan and 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 probably the president understand how dangerous the JCPOA is, uh, but but there's a certain group of, of folks in the Biden administration that are primarily Obama holdovers that were. Uh, you know, on the vanguard of the Obama JCPOA campaign. And, and for them, it's like a, a, an article of religious faith that this, this deal has to come back into place, no matter how dangerous it is to America and our friends and in the region. But I think the, the, the smart guys in the Biden administration, you know, under, understand how dangerous it is. But look, there, as you point out, there's a there's a fight within the administration. There's a faction that that's very, very much believes that America's interests are aligned with Iran's. And, and, you know, how they can come to that conclusion just just is beyond me.
1: And and Netanyahu putting the finishing touches on his new government. There's already uh, dissent in the Biden administration. They have not treated him well. They have not treated Israel well in their first two years. Uh, Here we go again. I mean, you know, I'm reading about it in the newspapers. I'm reading about it, you know, in the mainstream media, for heaven's sakes. I mean, I don't know. They... I don't know what they think they want out of Israel. I don't know what, why they don't understand Israel's strategic importance in this whole battle.
0: Well, Israel is critical to America. I did a little piece for PragerU uh, just recently that you can find on the Internet talking about why the Israeli-American relationship is so important. But, uh, but as the only true democracy in the Middle East, as our, as our friend of the Mediterranean, as a tech powerhouse, I and mean, we're we're locked in an existential fight against China. For the future of the world, is it going to be a future that in which has freedom and liberty and, and free speech, or is it going to be a dystopian surveillance society that the Chinese are pushing on the world with with security cameras everywhere and lockdowns and and social credit scores? And one of our great advantages in that that fight, especially in the tech part of it, which is going to be the the critical part of the fight, is Israel. Israel has become the second Silicon Valley. So between the U.S. and Israel and, and our, our allies in Japan and, and NATO, we can defeat the Chinese and, and their vision, their dystopian vision for the future. Mm. Uh, but, but Israel is a key part of that. Why friends uh, you know, in the, in the Biden administration want to undermine Israel mm. and, and the, the, this great democracy, this, this, this safe haven for the Jewish people is, is yeah. again, it's, it's absurd.
1: Happy, holy, Mary, Robert O'Brien, Low Marie, you take care, talk to you in the new year. Thanks ever so much for helping us. Folks, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then bring in the great Senator John Hoven, an eminently smart guy. We're going to talk about this catastrophic omnibus bill and spending and taxing and what is wrong with the Republicans in the U.S. Senate. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back with Hoven after this break.